0: Hey, thanks for listening to The Church at 112, where we gather together to encourage and equip each other into a growing relationship with Jesus. Now, here's today's message. Good morning. So this morning we're going to be at the end of Ecclesiastes 12. Um, I know James said you guys have been in it for about five weeks, and then as we approach the Easter season, shift gears into uh, all that the Easter season holds for us, but kind of wanted to wrap Ecclesiastes up, and so we're going to just go to the very end of Ecclesiastes and uh, talk a little bit about this strange book, and then... Yeah, and then see what the Spirit says to us. So Ecclesiastes 12, 13, and 14, it says, The end of the matter, all has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. So as I read through the book of Ecclesiastes, probably three or four times this week and listened to it a couple more times while driving, um, (laughs) if you were sort of uninitiated to the Christian faith, um, and this was the book you chose, is like you're diving off point into Christian theology, um, it it would kind of feel like a dumpster fire, I think. You would probably be like, I don't know if I want this this, uh, Christianity or or whatever this thing is, uh, because 34 times in this book he says the word vanity, twice he says vain, there are countless other uh, similes and metaphors that mean vanity, like striving after wind, or crackling of the thorns underneath the pot, which is my favorite (laughs) simile. Uh, 26 times he talks about under the sun, three times he says under heaven one time he says beneath the sun, and then five times on earth. And so as I began to just think about kind of the connective theme of these 12 chapters, it's it's the preacher looking at the state of the earth and talking about it from very natural terms. This isn't a book of great spiritual insights in one sense. This is a book of Looking at the world as the way it is, and talking about it the way it is. And I appreciate that. Like he is he's got his pulse on the finger of reality, and he's talking about it the way he sees it. And I appreciate the candidness. It's a lot like the Book of Job, right? Pulling no punches. Um, but at the same time, it is a strange book, right? And for uh, to be included in the Bible, there was there was even some, you know some, A little bit of controversy at the beginning. Should this go in the Bible, right? Because it doesn't feel like it's the inspired Word of God at times, right? He says, you know, well, just enjoy work. Take joy in work. And then, like, the next chapter is like, but you're not going to be able to take joy in work, so don't do that. Um, So what you should probably do is this. And then the next chapter is like, but, you know, that's probably not going to work either. And he just kind of, I don't know, stumbles through because he can't find the words. It's just there's a there's a sense of hopelessness, right? And he just kind of stumbles through and he gets to the end and he makes this this statement, right? The end of all the matter. All has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments for this is the whole duty of man. But he doesn't say it in like this victorious way. He kind of says it almost like defeated. Like, you know, there's really, I have nothing else to say. So I probably should have just said this and none of the rest of the stuff, but I'm just going to, I'm going to end with this. So we end on a good note. That's kind of, you kind of get the sense that there's a little bit of defeatism. Um, He he doesn't seem very hopeful if we're honest. Um, But I love the fact that he's questioning and he's looking for fulfillment. And yet at the same time, he's saying there is no fulfillment on earth under the sun, under heaven. Everything is vanity. Everything is futile. And if we're left in that, then I think we would all just go drink ourselves into oblivion, um, party like it's 1999, and, and hope that it shakes out, right? Uh, thankfully, Ecclesiastes doesn't sit alone in, in the entire uh, breadth of the wisdom of God. <laughs> thankfully, it's not the only book that we were left with to try to pattern our lives after. Uh, Because like the preacher, we would end up finding no success in that. Under heaven, we would find that the best thing that we could do was to um, go to work, don't drink too much, don't think too much, don't laugh too much, don't cry too much, don't do too much of anything too much. Everything in moderation, except for moderation, don't do moderation too much, right? That's kind of where he ends up, and it's, it's almost comical if it wasn't such a dumpster fire, right? But again, thank God this is not where, where we're left, right? And so this, this statement, the end of the matter, right? He's saying like, after all of my longing and all my searching, this is what I've come to. After everything else you've heard, I've said and you've heard, after everything has been heard, fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. And I think in this one sentence, he says the most true thing in this entire book. And this, this phrase, fear God, can be contentious. It can have some theological tension because as we are in, you know, uh, in Christianity, we, we can boldly come before the throne, right? We have unlimited access to the Father as children. And so fearing God to us almost seems counterintuitive to being the children of God, right? Um, And yet, there is this sense that though we should have this awe of God, this reverential awe, there also should be a fear of God. And we'll look at that more in a minute. Um, Because I think that in in ancient Israel, they, they understood the fear of God, right? They came face to face with the pillar and the fire and the rumblings and um, and so they, they, they could really, when you said fear God, they wouldn't say, oh, it's the awe of God. They would say like, no, quaking in your boots, fear of God. And so scripture f- thankfully defines for us what the fear of God and what keeping his commandments look like. And this is in the Old Testament. And I think the preacher would have, would have known this, would have read this, and this would have, where he took his definitions from. So let's read, this is, this is a long scripture, but I want to read it because it's very holistic. Um, Deuteronomy 10, 12 through 23. And now, Israel, what does the Lord your God require of you but to fear the Lord your God, to walk in all his ways, to love him, to serve the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, and to keep the commandments and statutes of the Lord, which I am commanding you today for your good. So he says, this is the fear. He says that this is what I require of you to fear me and to walk in my ways and to keep my commandments. And then he's going to go on and tell you what those commandments are and what it looks like to fear the Lord. Behold, to the Lord your God belong heaven and the heaven of heavens and the earth with all that is in it. Yet the Lord set his heart in love on your fathers and he chose your offspring after them. You above all people, as you are this day, circumcise therefore the foreskin of your heart and be no longer stubborn. For the Lord your God is God of gods and Lord of lords, the great, the mighty and the awesome God who is not partial and takes no bribe. He executes justice for the fatherless and the widow, and loves the sojourner, giving him food and clothing. Love the sojourner, therefore, for you were sojourners in the land of Egypt. You shall fear the Lord your God. You shall serve him and hold fast to him, and by his name you shall swear. He is your praise. He is your God. Who has done for you these great and terrifying things that you have seen? Your fathers went down to Egypt seventy persons, and now the Lord your God has made you as numerous as the stars of heaven, right? So this is what it means to fear God. And this is what it means to keep his commandments. And it is spelled out for us, right? And it's a very holistic. It, it deals not just with our interaction with God, but also our interaction with each other and our interaction with society. It's, just, it's full of justice. It's full of equity. It's full of mercy. It's full of generosity. And it's full of worship of the Lord. So how do we get from everything under heaven is vanity, right, to... Heaven itself, which is full of purpose, which, where there is no futility, right? Scripture says of heaven, Therefore... there is so much suffering and there's so much futility, but here in heaven, there's no more hunger. There's no more thirst. There's no more sadness. Christ himself is protector, right? And we're in his presence all day long. That's Revelation 7, 15 through 17. Psalm 16, 11 talks about heaven and it says, in your presence there is fullness of joy and at your right hand are pleasures forevermore. So we see That there is a perfect existence. There is a place where there is no futility, right? Everything is not a dumpster fire. Everything is perfect, right? But here we have under heaven and we have heaven. And there seems to be this this chasm, right? There seems to be some ceiling that the preacher was hitting during his entire philosophizing, right? He could only talk about under heaven. Because he had not experienced Jesus, right? So what can connect heaven and under heaven, right? There's only one thing, God himself, right? Nothing can pass between the two except for God himself. And so I want to look at four ways that God does that. First and foremost, heaven came down to earth in the form of Jesus, right? Colossians 1.15 says that Jesus is the image of the invisible God. God invisible showed his image into the visible realm. Underneath the sun, here comes Jesus revealing the nature and the person of God. Colossians 1.15 or Hebrews 1.3 says he is the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint of his nature. Jesus was showing us what God looked like. Jesus is God, and Jesus is the nature of God revealed on earth. Scripture says in Acts 4, "...there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved." So here we have God from heaven coming down to earth and saying that there is no other salvation under heaven except for Jesus. I'm glad they use that term. I think the preacher would be would be thankful that they use that term. And so there is still a separation though between heaven and and earth, right? And that separation was fixed until a single point in time and that was Christ Jesus being crucified on the cross and what happened the veil was torn in two right now no longer was there a firmament fixed between heaven and earth now there was a door that was wide open for anyone who would answer the call right i love that jesus when he prayed he said this is how you pray and he ends it with on earth as it is in heaven right so he's answering this quandary of how do we get heaven on earth how do we get heaven to under the sun right and he's saying you pray you pray that god will do that right so how does god do that what is the answer to that prayer in john 14 verses 12 16 and 17 jesus says to his disciples truly truly i say to you Whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. And greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another Helper to be with you forever, even the Spirit of truth. So the second way that heaven comes down is the Holy Spirit. At Pentecost, we're going to look at this scripture we we saw the Holy Spirit descending upon the church, right? Jesus had Jesus had at the at, you know Jesus had ascended, um, and then he sent his Holy Spirit back at Pentecost, right? And so here was heaven again coming down, under heaven to the earth for us. So now the the Holy Spirit descended upon those waiting in the upper room and filled them, right? So it wasn't just the It wasn't just them, heaven coming down, but it was also heaven itself filling them, right? With the presence of the Lord, the power of the Lord, the fullness of the Godhead inside of them. Acts 2 says, When the day of Pentecost arrived, they were all together in one place, and suddenly there came from heaven, from heaven, a sound like a mighty rushing wind, and it filled the entire house, where's the house? Under heaven, where they were sitting and divided tongues of fire appeared to them and rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues And as the Spirit gave utterance, right? So we have Jesus comes down, right? He images God. He images the way that God does things in heaven. Secondly, he sends his Holy Spirit to descend on the church. Heaven is coming down to fill the church, to empower the church. And then thirdly, heaven's kingdom comes down. The way heaven's, heaven's modus operandi, heaven's business comes down, and heaven is expressed through the church by the Holy Spirit. Acts 2, verses 40 through 45, Pentecost has happened. Um, there's a rushing wind. There's tongues of fire. People in the community are like, what is going on over there? Everybody rushes over to see what all the noise is about, and Peter preaches this incredible sermon, right? And then at the end of that sermon it says, And with many other words he testified and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day about three thousand souls were added to them. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and fellowship, in the breaking of bread and in prayers. Then fear came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were done through the apostles. Now all who believed were together and had all things in common and sold their possessions and goods and divided them among all as anyone had need. So again, we have the fear of the Lord and we also have this incredible partial fulfillment of what Deuteronomy said it was to fear the Lord and to keep his commandments, right? We have the fear of the Lord, and then we have people taking care of each other. They have all things in common, right? We have nobody's, nobody's hungry because if somebody has it, they're given to everybody else, right? Um, there, there's equity, there's, there's love, there's, there's humility. Um, in many ways, this is a, a partial fulfillment of, of that idea of, at the end of everything, fear God and keep his commandments, Right? And this was done by the power of the Holy Spirit in them. This wasn't the preacher for 12 chapters trying to do his very best on his own, trying to comprehend the best that he could. But this was now a body of believers under the headship of Christ, empowered by the Holy Spirit, that now had Holy Spirit wisdom and Holy Spirit power. And they weren't doing it in their own strength. They were doing it by grace, right? And they were living out that command to fear God and to keep His commandments. They were living out Deuteronomy 10. They were living out the kingdom of God, which is heaven's culture on earth. A holy nation, taking care of the vulnerable, a peculiar people of equity, of loving God with all their hearts as they were commanded, leaving the worldly systems behind and living in the upside-down kingdom of Jesus Christ living in Christ and by His Spirit. Purpose. Everything in their life had purpose instead of vanity, right? The preacher had vanity, but here they have purpose. The Bible says the steps of the righteous are ordered of the Lord. Their steps were, were ordered of the Lord. Every single moment of their life now had purpose, where the preacher had only vanity. At the beginning, James read from 1 Corinthians, and this is the end of that again. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Right? The preacher was like, everything I do is vanity. But in Christ, by the Spirit, the works that we do have purpose, and they are not in vain. What a promise. That verse, uh, or that passage that James read, it's in the greater context of the hope of heaven, right? That death has no sting. That we've been transferred from the perishable into the imperishable, right? From death into everlasting life. And so that's the last way that heaven, um, heaven comes down, is that everything... One day will be destroyed and remade, a new heaven and a new earth, right? That that passage in Deuteronomy that is a, a picture of the way that God wants society to operate, what, what the Jewish tradition would call shalom, right? Everything at peace with one another, people at peace with one another, people at peace with God, people at peace with the beasts of the land, right? People at peace with the earth itself, no more sin, no more suffering everything being purpose-filled, everything having God's eternal intent manifest moment by moment forever. Finally the total fulfillment of fear God and keep his commandments, right? Because we'll be in his presence forever. We will also no longer be able to sin. Thank God for that. So let us look at again at those two verses that we use to describe heaven, and I want us to personalize it this time. This is our destiny in Christ. This is when there is no longer under heaven, when heaven is all and in all. Therefore, we will be before the throne of God. Who is that talking about? It says, everyone who's washed in the blood of the Lamb. So it's the believers, it's everyone that Christ has called his own, everyone that has passed from the perishable into the imperishable. Therefore we are before the throne of God and serve him day and night in his temple. And he who sits on the throne will shelter us with his presence. We shall hunger no more, neither thirst any more. The sun shall not strike us nor any scorching heat. For the Lamb in the midst of the throne will be our shepherd and he will guide us to springs of living water and God will wipe every tear away from our eyes and in his presence for us there will be fullness of joy because Christ, who's at the right hand of God, will be our pleasure forevermore. It's just so interesting to me that the preacher, whether that's Solomon or whether that's one of Solomon's offspring, was so wise and he searched so hard and he still sounded so hopeless. And yet, in Christ, who who uses the foolish things of this world to confound the wise, we who literally have not spent our whole days searching out wisdom, we who have not done like the, the preacher and, and exhausted our uh, understanding of things under this earth, we're offered eternal truth. We're offered hope freely. And Christ in heaven for eternity is, is our reward for what? For trading our crappy dumpster fire of a life for his eternal presence. What an incredible bargain. The end of the matter. All has been heard. Fear God and keep his commandments. For this is the whole duty of man. Having read about Christ coming down, God so loving the world and sending his son, and whosoever would believe in him, right? And then... Not only that, but him taking all of our pain and all of our suffering and all of our sin and then giving us his Holy Spirit, empowering us as a church to do great things, even greater things, he said, than he did. If I was going to say this statement again, knowing all of that, I wouldn't say it in a hopeless way, right? It would be such a powerful, it would be such a profound thing. At the end of the matter, after all that has been heard, fear God and keep his commandments, for this is the whole duty of man. It's a joyful statement when you realize what it means in Christ. But without Christ under heaven, if it's just me trying to keep these commandments, if it's just me trying to fear God, I fail miserably, I get locked into an endless cycle of futility, and it does feel like it's nothing but vanity. But in Christ, knowing that moment by moment, I have purpose, that nothing is vanity, because what God sends his word forth to do he accomplishes and it doesn't return to him void. And I know that his life, his eternal life, begets eternal life. And so I live in this place of hope. And so we can read this again with hope. And it goes on, for God will bring every deed into judgment with every secret thing, whether good or evil. And I think that this speaks to the fact that though the preacher didn't seem to anticipate the Christ, at least not the Christ in the way that Jesus came and revealed God. There is this time Uh, this day of reckoning, and and Scripture says today is the day of salvation. And so for us to be in Christ, for us to experience heaven, for us to experience passing from the perishable to the imperishable, for us to experience the passing from vanity into a purpose-filled life, from futility into his perfection, there is this reckoning, right? There is this standing before God. There is this God showing us, exposing us, For who we are the secret intents of our heart and then in that moment we can be like those first that first group of converts in in Acts chapter 2 who when it says when they heard the word of the Lord they were cut to the heart right they were convicted their secret motives their secret desires everything was exposed before God and they said what can we do what shall we do And Peter said, today, repent and be baptized, right? Pass from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. Leave behind the old way. Embrace the new way of fearing God and keeping his commandments, right? And we see a beautiful picture of the way that they did that in the early church. Immediately, they stopped doing things the old way and immediately started selling their land and started selling their houses and started meeting everybody's needs and started devoting themselves to the teachings of the apostles and started worshiping God every day and their whole life became the kingdom and so I think that as we think about the dumpster fire that is this world as we see the newsfeed as we see everything that is going on under heaven we have to remember that we alone in the church have that message of hope that heaven has come down and heaven will remake everything But it starts with us. It starts with the body of believers fearing Him and keeping His commandments. Not out of duty to earn our salvation, but out of worship because we are saved. Because we've experienced grace and we pour out grace on others. Because we've been filled by the power of the Holy Spirit. And we're pouring the power of the Holy Spirit into our families and into our churches and into our communities, into our neighborhoods and they're seeing a radically changed people some something so subversive because it's so countercultural because it doesn't live to build its own brand and it doesn't live to beef up its bank account and it doesn't live for itself at all it's a bride that's living for her bridegroom right and so this message that we have we can we can sit in a book like ecclesiastes for five now six weeks we can sit there in that dumpster fire that the preacher is talking about, and we alone can have hope in it. We can alone look at the reality, and we alone can look at that reality and not turn away, not delude ourselves, not try to make it out to be something that it's not. We can look at the reality of suffering, human suffering, and we can say, yes, this is real. And also, this is not all there is. We alone have the message of hope for a suffering world, And so I love that the preacher looked at the world rightly, looked at the way things are without Christ. And I also love that we can see both the way things are without Christ and experience the way things are with Christ. And so we can look back at that world through a filter and we can see the love of God. We can see the image of God on people and we can love them with the love that he's loved us with. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we just thank you for The good news, oh my gosh, the great news that though mankind has made a mess of everything, though our sin and our foolish ambition and our vain endeavors have caused so much suffering around the world, so much exploitation, that we were not left alone in our own devices, that you knew that we needed a savior. In fact, you knew it before you even created us. From the foundation of the world, the lamb was slain. Your plan was always to redeem your image bearers in Christ, through Christ. And we rejoice in that good news. May it be our joy, may it be the filter that we see this broken world through, and may it be the passion that illuminates and animates our activity, our conversation. May we be Christ-loving, kingdom-first people. That by the power of your Holy Spirit, we are showing them what heaven can look like, what heaven will look like, just a taste of it. So that when those that are stumbling in blindness under heaven... Look around and see the dumpster fire of their reality. Look, at, look inside and see the dumpster fire of their own heart. Feel so futile in everything that they do. Feel so hopeless in it that we will be that shining city on a hill. That we will be that peculiar people, that light, that salty speech that causes them to thirst for the living water. Lord, may we be that people. May we fear you. May we keep your commandments. And may we do so because we have been redeemed out of darkness into your eternal light, because we're loved, because we're accepted in Christ, and because we are, have the same power in us that raised Christ from the dead. And may we do these things for your glory alone, and may we refuse to share in your glory, and may we refuse to build our brand, and may we exalt the name of Christ alone. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to today's message. We hope that it was encouraging for you and that you have a great week. God bless.